This is licensed marriage and family therapist Chris Hoff, host of the Radical Therapist podcast. It is in my strong clinical opinion that you never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dolomore. All right. Welcome, one and all, far and near, to the latest and greatest episode Number 146 of your favorite source for news and ridiculous comment. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, and I am the ridiculous comment side of that. Your host, Jesse Dollamore, sitting across from me, sleepy, or well-rested, rather, my lovely co-host who can take a nap at the drop of a hat, Brittany Page. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very true. You're a weirdo for that very thing. You would you would be great in a combat situation. And I don't mean active combat, like <laughs> battle, because you're going to be sleeping. I'm like, thanks. A- I know. I'm really tough. <laughs> but those are stressful situations where sleep is hard to come by. Mm-hmm. It's You don't have a comfy bed. You, you know, you got to put your head on a rock and mm-hmm. wherever you can get some sleep, get some sleep. You would be ideally functioning in those exact situations because you can sleep anywhere i can you can sleep on airplanes with people crying and yelling coughing their diseased pestilence i mean that's more difficult but yes i could still do that but you could really you could go to sleep right now sleep for 12 hours (laughs) and then wake up and take another like immediately have a nap after you're having a cup of coffee. Okay. You're a weirdo. You're making it sound unhealthy. But <laughs> y- yes, because I did fall asleep while you were talking to me. You were trying to plan the just show. Just now? No, not not just now, but earlier when I took my nap, I remember falling asleep and you were talking to me about the show and I just fell asleep while you were trying to plan the show I with me. I don't know if that's an indictment of you <laughs> or an indictment of me and my lack of energy and uh, engaging content that is supposed <laughs> to be falling out of my face. Well, no, so because I remember being, you know, half asleep, you know, when you're half asleep. <laughs> and I think I heard you say, okay, I guess you're taking a nap. And then you left the room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that happened. That tends to happen. That, <laughs> that's kind of the MO, the modus operandi of the lovely and talented Brittany Page. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, well, listen, before we move on, I want to ask, I guess, ask the audience a question. Um, Something weird that happened very recently. In our neighborhood, we we live in a very safe, very, uh, I hesitate to say affluent, but the area we live is... uh, it's safe. We'll just say that. We're not necessarily affluent, but it's in an affluent area. I didn't say area. we are affluent. I said the area in which we live. <laughs> you don't have to trip over yourself to over-explain. I'm not, I'm not tripping over myself. It's just that it's Orange County, and even, you know, people experiencing poverty can live oh in... Oh, my God. <laughs> 
can live in affluent areas because it's Orange bias, County, right? Listen to that bias-free language. The University of, <laughs> of New Hampshire would be very proud right now. Doing it up right. So this is what happened very recently. Across from our house, there was a gentleman in a Jeep, like a nice Jeep Grand Cherokee, brand new, mm-hmm. kind of slouched down in his Jeep. With the engine running. Yeah, like like leaned back in his seat, but then also slouched it down. So you could kind of see his head, and he was like looking out the window when people would pass. Yeah, he was real sketchy. It, it was sketchy. It was very odd. So we left the house, and we came back about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes later, mm-hmm. and Monkey Boy was still in his Jeep, slouched down with the engine running, looking relatively nefarious. Yeah. Even when we left initially, I had concerns. Then when we returned and he was still there, I wondered what was going on. It's kind of stalkery or yeah, something. Yeah. So I came in and I I debated with myself. I dialed, I decided to call the cops. N- not 911. No, I called, he called 911. He was panicked. Anyway, <laughs> I called the non-emergency number just, you know, to talk to somebody. Yeah. And this was the response. After I explain, I don't, I don't, I don't have a recording. I, I, I'm setting that up like I have a tape. Of that it. would have been awesome. <laughs> so I explained the situation, and I, you know, put it in decent terms where I would spark some concern from the person. You know, when you communicate, you're in any sense, you're kind of selling it. You want to sell it. Right. You, so you painted the picture that it doesn't really make sense for this guy to be sitting in a car while it's on for an hour, over an hour. Slouched down, looking... Looking uh, around like... shady. Yeah. yeah. So I explained that. And the response from our local police department was, okay, well, we might get over there. We're real busy right now. Yeah. We're real busy right now. Well, one... You're the police department. I would expect you to be busy yeah, a lot. Yes. All the time, in fact, probably. If it's, if it's, oh, yeah, hey, we'll get somebody right over there. We're doing nothing right now. I would worry. Yes. But instead, I got, yeah, uh, we're really busy right now. Well, maybe, but, you know, don't expect anything. It was, it was just, I don't know. I was struck. And I'm not even, it's not like I'm pounding on the desk kind of a, my tax dollars here, but there. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm just. I thought I was taken aback by the odd response. It's kind of like calling a company with a customer service complaint and them saying, "Yeah, well, fuck you." Well, I mean, I've heard stories of people calling nine one one and getting a busy signal. I don't know if that's. <laughs> I, I, mean, I shouldn't laugh. That's terrible. I don't know if that's true because I heard it from someone who has lied to me a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> someone who lies a lot. Or lies to you a lot. Just, you know, has told me a lot of stories that turned out to not be true. <laughs> you know, I, they're usually very responsive. I called 911, the emergency line in Boise, Idaho one time. And on my cell phone, yeah. like inadvertently. And it was busy? It, and I know I immediately hung up. And then like three seconds later, ring-a-ding-a-ding. They called me back. We're like, hey, uh, you just... You just butt dialed me. Well, what's going on? Yeah. Is there an emergency? Yeah. No, I'm just dumb. (laughs) Well, that's nice. See, they're on top of it. Right. That's the kind of response that I want when I call an emergency number or my my police department. Before we start the show, I want to talk about an email we received from a listener regarding specifically our last episode, not our bonus debate episode, but our last episode, number 145 where we talked about 
that post on Facebook from the Humans of Dublin. The email says, just wanted to reach out to you guys and say how much I appreciate everything that you've been working on over the last year. I missed a huge portion of the show last summer and fall and have been rapidly catching up and on track to have devoured every episode. You both have an extremely special place in my heart. Your last episode really spoke to me and I feel compelled to share why. Words are powerful or have the potential to be. The voices that carry those words equally so. The amount of heart, passion, and intellectual material that you have poured into the show has been increasingly apparent, and though I am sure you are aware, you are being listened to. More importantly, you are being heard. You often refer to the show as this little thing we do, but I assure you that your impact is far from small. Over the last year, I have experienced a few radical changes that have really tested my resolve and my emotions. I lost an extremely long-term job, cut ties with a fairly large group of long-term friends, and extricated myself from a toxic relationship with my mother and her family based on the tangled quagmire of addiction and blind faith. Being the only godless member in my family has ostracized me in ways that I never imagined possible. Though I have an amazing family, father's side, partner, and people I truly can count on, I found myself slipping into a self-deprecating, caustic, and destructive depression. Today, I can proudly say that I am doing quite well, and my intent is not to throw a pity party, or as you two say, S on my D, as it were, (laughs) but I want to make it clear that you two had a critical part in lifting me up. You may have not had the opportunity to ask me, are you okay, as in the Humans of Dublin piece, but what you've done is far more impactful. Through your work, your banter, debate, and discussion, you have powerfully delivered this message. You are okay. In a world and social climate when it is easy to doubt oneself, convictions, and even perception of the fundamental issues, what you two are doing is much more important to me than two hours of audio each week. You have instigated countless hours of contemplation and discussion. You have made me laugh, and now you've made me cry. You have challenged my convictions and reinforced others. You have made it clear that I am not the only one with the questions, doubts, and concerns about the world around us and our place in it. I suppose what I'm getting at is that your voices resonate profoundly with those of us who are listening, and you do change lives with what you're doing. You may not be approving me for a mortgage, but your discussion is an integral part in the threads of rational and progressive thinking that remain. I love you guys more than I can accurately express. Never stop moving that conversation forward. I, I'm, we're we're going to withhold the the name of the listener. I, I did reach out to them and say, ask them if it was okay if we read this, and they expressed some uncomfortableness, but ultimately relented and said yes. I wasn't putting the screws to them. I just anyway. So we're gonna we're gonna withhold the name just because it was so personal. Very personal, right? Uh, let me express to you personally, to you listener. Um, listen, we love you, and we do all of our listeners, but those who reach out, those who who open up so personally with us, it's a very special thing. And when I talk about this little thing we're doing here, it is not just our thing, Brittany and me, and I've said this on the show before, we really believe this is a group effort. This is a, this is a, a, a project involving Brittany and myself and the, the, the numbers of people who choose to listen and choose to move the conversation forward with us. So thank you very much for the beautifully written, wonderfully complimentary email. We're not reading it because of 
of it is SNRD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and thank you for that. That's not the reason we're reading it. We're reading it because if you're out there right now and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling all these different emotions that the this listener just expressed, you're not alone. There's someone there to help you. There's someone there to to lift you up, to encourage you. Um, even if it's us from afar, somebody cares. Somebody cares. Yeah, and it was a really powerful email for me to read as well, just because, you know, I cry about everything. Like, I cry <laughs> when I watch School of Rock, you know. Um, so I know that, you know, this person was nervous to share this with yeah, us. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but I, like you're saying, I really think that it has the potential to impact other people and I think that is awesome and selfless of this person to write in and share their struggles and what they've been going through right and so we really appreciate hearing from you sure absolutely listen if you would like to listen to the particular episode and the particular portion of the episode to which this listener is referring it's episode 145 and it's probably the last I don't know well listen to the whole thing because it's real good <laughs> But it's probably the last, like, 15 minutes of the episode. Um, it was the first time that both, I mean, both Brittany and I independently have gotten a little teary on the show before. But this was a time where we both, hadn't we both been there, it would have been a shit show. Because while I was crying, she was she had the mic. And while she was cracking up, I tried to take over. So <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> while you were crying and then when I was cracking up. <laughs> Well, I don't want to use the same term. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. Let's do a little bit of follow-up. So we're going to cover this as a a segment of follow-up because we've talked about it before. On episode 102, we talked about atheist blogger, secularist blogger, Avijit Roy from Bangladesh, who was brutally barbarically murdered on the streets of Dhaka. And this trend is continuing. Uh, radical Islam is is a threat we've talked about many, countless times on this show. This fearful segment of Islam that can't face the scrutiny of any criticism of its faith or its ideologies or its philosophies is a pernicious force right now in our world. Just this last week, another secular atheist blogger has been brutally and barbarically hacked to death with machetes, hatchets, and meat cleavers in his own home. A group of unidentified assailants hacked another secular blogger to death in Bangladesh on Friday. The victim, known by the pseudonym Niloy Neal, is the fourth blogger murdered by religious extremists in the last six months. With no one facing charges for any of the murders, the government of Bangladesh has been accused of allowing their killers to operate with impunity. After Friday prayers, six men entered Neal's building, posing as potential tenants looking to rent a flat. They pulled out machetes and confined his wife to another room before hacking him to death. 
Hours later, a local al-Qaeda offshoot group called Ansar al-Islam claimed responsibility for the murder. This is very troubling, and not just for the people within Bangladesh or people who live in majority Muslim countries. This is a problem and a concern, and it should be for the entire planet, because this is a, 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 an evil, this is a, a problem that we all face. In, in the wake of, or prior to, the, the deaths of the people in Paris with Charlie Hebdo, the editor, Sharb, he, he went by, he said, I'd rather die standing than live on my knees. Well, I want to welcome to the show Arif Rahman, who is a friend of the aforementioned Neil O'Neill and a, a fellow atheist and secular blogger. And I, I want to say before, before we begin here, Arif, that I, I admire you very, very much. It's easy to, to sit within the comfort and the confines of, of, of America where we don't really face the, the threats that, that you do there. I, I know you're in, you're in London, so the th threat might be mitigated slightly. But you are you and your counterparts and your, your fellow bloggers are very brave individuals who face a real threat of death, and uh, you're doing a, a wonderful thing. Welcome to the show, and I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here with you. I appreciate the words. Let me ask you. I, you know, there's there's several things to to tackle here. I wanna I wanna first talk about what exactly your friend Neil O'Neill what what did he write about that was so threatening to radical Islamists and the extremists? You know, Ansar al Islam or you know, it's an Al Qaeda offshoot. But really, the entire philosophy of this radical segment. Of, of Muslim thought, of Islam, Islamism, um, what exactly did he write that, that is so dangerous to them? Uh, he wrote under the pseudonym Neil O'Neill, and uh, some of the writings I can, I, I just have in front of me open, they are in Bengali, and the latest one was actually talking about uh, uh, female genital mutilation in Malaysia, and he wrote a really good article about how um, a lot of um, young Muslim girls are actually going through this barbaric procedure and the government in Malaysia are actually helping to this. So it looks like countries that where uh, Islamism is growing, uh, governments are actually in, in bed with Islamists uh, and abating these sort of uh, barbaric ac actions. The trend also we can see in Bangladesh where uh, not the FGM, but um, the way uh, bloggers are being killed and government is doing nothing uh, to actually protect them. But also, only today, the police uh, uh, super superior, the, the chief of police, had a press conference where he warned Bangladeshi uh, bloggers not to cross the line. That was his exact words. And he invited uh, general public to report atheist bloggers uh, to the police who crossed the line. Uh, so it was really, really disheartening uh, hearing what he was saying. Well, you know, in this in this community of yours, this community of bloggers, the risk obviously outweighs the fear because they're continuing to 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 blog. They're continuing to write. They're they're continuing to quote unquote cross the line. Can you can you speak a little bit more about about that? The fact that. 
it's really not slowing them down. I mean, the the, the killing after directly after Ramadan, they started right back up with these assassinations, these brutal assassinations. What is it that, and I admire it, but what is it that is is driving the motivation to continue at risk of death uh, to continue writing? Uh, it's actually a very long uh, history of Bangladesh and its secular struggles. Um, uh, I, I have been talking about this uh, in, in various, uh, various uh, interviews that Bangladesh and the, the land that is we know now as Bangladesh has not been there for a very long time. Um, 44 or 5 years ago, this land used to be called East Pakistan. Right, right. And then uh, in 19, um, up until 1947, this land was actually part of Indian subcontinent. And then thousands of years before that, this land was part of Indian subcontinent and the religion or, or the culture of this area was actually not Islamic. Islam was implanted and kind of imported uh, in this land. And that means we are not in by default uh, Muslims. We are not like Arabs where the culture and the religion is Islam. So we have a very good um, uh, portion of our psyche as, as secular psyche. Our, one of our part of our culture is uh, called Baul culture, which is like a mystic um, way of thinking where the concept of God is actually uh, embodied in, in human psyche. Humans, uh, humanism is kind of the oldest um, concept that we have. Now, when we see uh, over the last 40 or so years um, since our independence, we hoped for a more secular country and our initial constitution had uh, uh, secularism and, uh, you know, uh, humanism part of our uh, constitution. But then over the last 40 years, we have seen that uh, slowly dissipating from in front of us and we have seen Islamism growing. Uh, we wanted to save uh, our secular ways of thought, and we saw Islamism, by creeping in, it's actually taking away a lot of our human rights, uh, especially equal, equal rights for women is getting cuddled. So we wanted to speak about those, and uh, we wanted to uh, raise our voice, because the, the people or the, or the system that was supposed to do that was either being silenced or being bought out uh, either through um, temptation or fear. And all was left for us is to write blogs when we saw the opportunity uh, back in 2006 where when internet was growing and, and people could write blogs of, from their own um, uh, comfort and, and safety of the, and behind their keyboards. Unfortunately, our writing actually hurts the the concept of religion, especially Islam, and the respect that it demands, and thereby, uh, just by making sense, uh, we we have fallen uh, onto the wrong side of Islamism, and they have now uh, identified. Uh, we were not actually extremely hiding because we never thought we would be killed for just writing. So uh, we are now being targeted, and gradually uh, we are being eliminated. But the good thing. I think the question was, why did we still write? Because we know that by writing this uh, uh, about atheism, about uh, you know the negative effects of, of religion, 
uh, we definitely have strung a cord and that's why we are being killed. So two things is, first of all, we will not stop writing because we want the snowball that we have created to grow even bigger. Good, good. And also, uh, if we stop now, the terrorists will win. They have, they will be succeeding terrorizing us, which is definitely not something we will uh, want to do. So Pew came out with some numbers in April of 2013. And in Bangladesh, they said that 82% of Muslims favor making Sharia the law of the land. And then among the Muslims who say that Sharia should be the law of the land, there are 39% that say it should apply to all citizens, not just Muslims only. And so it is powerful that in, in the face of those numbers, you still know that the secular bloggers have power against this, right? Because if they didn't, it, you wouldn't be considered a threat. Uh, you are absolutely right. However, that part of or that side of our, our work uh, or the side effect of our work uh, is not something we have been aware of. Um, uh, a lot of us tell us that uh, this is a political struggle. And I say, we never expect it to be a political struggle. But they say, you know what, even if you didn't want it, by uh, challenging the power structure of, of religion, you have somehow entered the uh, war fields and you are you are now being you know uh, targeted for, for doing that. So... Um, we did not realize that, but you're right. I think uh, we, we some must have done something right. Well, let me, I want you to talk a little bit about, because you're, you're certainly more, more versed in the history of this region than I am. Uh, talk a little bit about, because I know when England pulled out and the, that colonial influence was was just extra when it extricated itself when it was removed so suddenly and they drew lines relative to national borders like pakistan it's you know it was created because oh we think the muslims should be here oh the hindus they live here talk a little bit about about how because i believe that a lot of this infighting was was brought on because of the colonial influence and then the borders, these artificial borders that were just created out, you know, out of uh, thin air. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, we, we know that uh, the British um, monarch and, and uh, its, its intelligence was, uh, has always kind of ruled the world for, for many hundred years. years. Sure. And um, they, they are uh, quite smart. And I think... Um, uh, at that time, in their own interest, before leaving, they wanted to leave seeds of their future rules. So when when it came to the discussion of leaving uh, near the end of World War II, uh, when British was pulling out because they have uh, sucked us dry, there was nothing more to uh, loot, and um, and that the geopolitical situation was changing, the world order was changing. They um, they wanted to create political problems. Uh, so Bengal, the the area that we know now as West Bengal of India and the current uh, region of Bangladesh, this is a huge uh, region which is predominantly Muslim speaking. But because of that import of Islam and because of an inherent issue of uh, Hinduism, 
uh, a lot of over the hundreds hundreds of years, uh, the land we now know of uh, Bangladesh had more of uh, Muslim uh, concentration, mm-hmm. and the West Bengal side was of Hindu concentration. But although they were culturally the same, linguistically the same, but the religion was slightly different. So the British uh, created this; um, they, they draw this line. And uh, they said this is going to be the Muslim part. This is going to be the um, Hindu part of the Bengali-speaking region. And this is not, they did not only do it for the Bengali-speaking region. They have done it for Punjab-speaking religion. So on the on the other side, the western side of India, there is two Punjab, the Pakistani side of Punjab right. and the Indian side of Punjab. And this theme also happens in Kashmir. Um, That's exactly right. It's a, a major problem there. Yes, that that division that British created, and the and the problem that they left, and this all keeps India and Pakistan kind of occupied. And probably that was one of the objectives of British before they left, because obviously, if you have ruled the world for a few hundred years, you would have that sort of um, shrewdness um, in in your in your uh, you know politics. So. If we focus on Bangladesh um, and the land that uh, we now know, Bangladesh, it was formed out of two distinctive sections when the British left. Um, Before, let me interrupt you, sorry. I I just want for my audience sake to have a little understanding of the geography there, that you've got Pakistan on the west of India, then you've got India, and then directly east of that, you have Bangladesh. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, thank you for, for doing that because... I forgot that uh, you know that visual picture actually helps uh, the audience. Um, so, Pakistan and India was created out of Indian subcontinent, and Bangladesh and actually Bangladesh was known as East Pakistan, and and the West Pakistan. They were part of this Pakistan uh, theoretical state with India in between. I mean, how many countries you know that has two sections? with that much of distance in between and right th- th- thousands of miles in between west pakistan <laughs> and east pakistan it does it it makes no sense whatsoever yeah uh, unfortunately it did make sense to them at that time and nobody <laughs> questioned which is um which is a strange thing however the pakistan is of course um as you we know i i'm i'm not generalizing about average pakistani but the but the ruling class of Pakistan, which now we know, uh, kind of uh, is the military generation or the um, the 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 head of the military, and and Pakistan is, yeah, is well, heavily the, militarized. The Pervez Musharraf kind of uh, regime. Yeah, yeah, and and so many like them. Uh, they obviously were not the uh, the good people, and also they did not have the best interest of Bangladesh or East Pakistan region. Uh, at that time, Bangladesh was. Um, it, I'm just kind of giving you a background of uh, how the the what what actually ended up being uh, a, the liberation war of Bangladesh. Um, Bangladesh used to export um, a a fabric a fiber called jute. Um, it was a very. Um, I think it's coming back now. But at that time, it used to be called the golden fiber because Bangladesh is a very um, is a land rich with lots of rivers, at least at that time. And jute uh, grows and uh, it, it grows very well if it is if there is river near it. And Bangladesh have had a lot of uh, rivers. So 
there would be tons and hundreds of tons of uh, jute produced and it would be exported. The, ex the, um, the money that was um, earned by exporting jute would be going straight to Pakistan because Pakistan, East West Pakistan was the one ruling the whole of the Pakistan and they would actually utilize that money to build infrastructure in the West Pakistan. And within this short span of time between 1947 and 1971, uh, Pakistan, West Pakistan had changed their uh, capital five times. And they, they used to declare this is going to be now the capital and they would build tremendous amount of infrastructure using that money. And then after a few years, they would say, no, we are not going to declare the other city as the capital and go over the same thing. So we saw this is just a tip of the iceberg of the of the extortion and also the uh, sucking up our 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 fund uh, was happening. People are getting a lot of lot of um, angry and also language. They wanted to push their language, which is a Urdu language, which is actually based on Arabic script. Right. Uh, on our language, which was Bengali language, which is based on Semitic um, script, they were trying to push it on us. And they said, you have to forget Bengali and you have to start learning Urdu. And we revolted against it because we love our language. And uh, the land now we know as Bangladesh means Bangla land. Bangla is our language, which is kind of also known as Bengali. So, so that's so, kind of the so what you're saying. There, there is a, a long tradition and history of rebellion and flying rebelliously in the face of of a of a, an oppressor. So in this case, radical Islam really would be the oppressive, you know, kind of colonial influence that's trying to hold you down as a, as an atheist blogger, as a secular blogger, as a voice of reason. Absolutely, absolutely, you you have. Let me ask you this, mm -hmm. and I, I kind of want to move on to a, to a different element of this, and that's the fact that it, the Bangladesh government is, while supposedly secular, and, and this is kind of an, it's an interesting facet, especially for an American audience, because not having, you know, we have a, a very in deep ingrained culture of freedom of speech, and I think a lot of, you know, after a, a couple hundred years and change of being a, a nation, it's become just kind of commonplace for your everyday American. And they, it's anathema for an American to, to not be able to say whatever they want about whatever they want and have to, to think of repercussions for that is just wild. It just it can't be comprehended by your average American. But I want to talk about how the government of Bangladesh right now, while one side of their mouth says, oh, we totally, we, we, abhor, we abhor this, we, we condemn it. And then with the other side of their mouth, they are having police chiefs and policies that discourage freedom of speech and discourage blasphemy, quote unquote, blasphemy of religion. Yeah. Um if I could go quickly back um, on, on a statement you just made about um, America. In a general, the freedom of speech in America is upheld. But if you remember uh, a couple of years ago, um, well, there was a cartoon show called um, where, where the, the depiction of Muhammad was, I can't remember the name of it. Is, was it South Park? It, it was South, where, South Park on Comedy Central. That's right. That's the one. And, you know, the the creators and producers were 
were severely under attack because of of that and i think at some point they had to uh bend and and compromise of some sort uh because of the huge tremendous pressure and also fear of retaliation right so that's that's kind of a primer on a glimpse of what we are facing in a massive scale in bangladesh right now um so uh, what i'm trying to say as you started uh, in the in the beginning the problem that we are facing is something of a global nature and bangladesh is something of a very advanced stage of an infection that is 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 very very um uh, uncontrollable i should say so would you say that the government is incompetent or complicit or some other option bangladesh government is very much competent should it want to at this point bangladesh government's uh, i think strategy is they have unleashed a a beast and they're just waiting for the beast to level down uh, the atheistic thought process and the secular thought process because right now um, bangladesh government is actually formed by uh, people from the party called Awami League, uh, unanimous majority, and the people of Awami League are uh, mostly business persons, and the business persons have vested interest and invested investment from uh, Islamic lobbies. Um, just to give you a perspective here, um, in Bangladesh, there was a study uh, came out, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, where uh, there was this chart showing the loan disbursement ratio between the Islamic bank and the state-owned bank. And it was two is to one, two to one. That mm. means Islamic government was, this um, bank was distributing, say, 4,000 units of um, loan. Unit could be millions, and I, don't, I can't remember exact figure right now. Sure, and sure. it's in, in Bengali currency. But just to give you a perspective, 4,000 towards the biggest a state-owned bank was 2000 and that means that loan is not going outside of the country it's being invested inside the country that means every and any businessman who has any sort of big investment would be some sort of uh, have some sort of uh, allegiance to the islamic cause because you know business interest needs to be fulfilled and if suddenly islamic uh, bank says that you know you you have to return our money or some sort of leverage then the people are are kind of you know they they have nothing to say so that's that's the business problem that is causing us all this all this is kind of a tool that the islamic lobby is using so it's um, th there is financial hostage taking here uh, i think so yeah, yeah. that's but, that, that, i mean that's but, an element i haven't heard i appreciate you saying that but the thing is i don't think the guys or, or the business uh, owners who is also the political leaders i don't think they're very much um you know uh, it's not uh, when you say use it was the hostage that means without consent but i think they are very much consenting to that um uh, what i'm trying to say that their allegiance to islamic uh, fund is more that's what i'm trying to say sure sure so in reading about how there have been no punishments for the murders of these four bloggers this year i read a uh, police statement from someone who said, quote, we know that Neil used to work for non-governmental organizations in the past, but we are not aware of his journalistic identity. We are investigating. So in the police saying that they're not aware of his journalistic identity, do you think that that's honest or do you think something's going on there? Um, everybody knew Neil O'Neill was a blogger. Police obviously knew um, 
not because he went to the police for protection. He went to two police. I don't know if you have read this in BBC or somewhere else that uh, he actually posted about this in his own blog in Facebook and saying that today, after a protest event of a previously murdered blogger, when I was coming back home, there were two people following me. So I went to the police station claim is uh, to to, to um, express my fear and re- demanding protection and the police officer of that particular uh, station said uh, your home address does not fall into our jurisdiction you need wow. to go to that police station but i would suggest and they unofficially said that i would suggest you leave the country because uh, police cannot protect you but the thing is today when this question was asked to the police uh, chief he said uh, that uh, statement is not being verified and we don't know if it is true. Of course, do you really record the police officers every time they talk? I don't think that happens anywhere. I right. Mean, uh, so it, he's just denying that that fact. So police definitely knew about it should they wanted to know. His name was in the list. So that list has been in circulation for, for a long time now. Sure. Um, your name also appears on that hit list, does it not? Yeah, I uh, it's on the very top of the list uh, wow. for the, for a very long time now. And how do how does that feel? <laughs> That's a strange question. Um, I I don't think I feel about that anymore. To me, it's just a fact uh, of life. Uh, uh, British police has um, came to obviously have interest in in, in protecting me, and um, uh, I I I I just uh, try to be safe. That's it. That's good. Well, we, we want you to be safe. Well, listen, in the, in, the, in the couple of minutes we have left with you, I, I want to have you briefly talk about what exact, because I don't want this just to be, well, you're, you're coming on our show and our audience is going to listen to it. I want this to be a call to action for anybody who's hearing this. And we don't just have an American audience. We have an international audience. What can be done? How can people help in this war of ideas? Um, I think um, I was discussing with um, Atheist Republic earlier and they were asking uh, similar questions. I think everybody who are privileged uh, and they live in a um, more um, free nation, um, one of the things we do is definitely make more uh, noise. And uh, as, as individuals, we definitely can, can uh, spread the word that this is happening in Bangladesh and don't trust the government what they're saying but keep putting more pressure but also if anybody has any leverage uh, to make Bangladesh government do more about these things I think um, because it's not going to be a one-person job it everyone has to join hands Uh, I don't know individuals if they have uh, that's because the money thing I talked about it's not only in Bangladesh it's a global problem and the, the the um, you know, Saudi money, Saudi fund, I know that circulates throughout the globe and everyone has interest. So it's it's a difficult problem. And this is the reason it, it's almost like it is what it is and it, because it is. So I don't know how we break out from this circle, but definitely, uh, you know, hearing us and, and talking more about us uh, probably would at least... Um, uh, make people aware that this is happening and I don't know if, if something good is going to come out of it because I don't think this killing will stop. Yeah, it's very, very, very sad, very disturbing. Well, listen, I, I want to thank I want to thank you and I guess by extension, I want to thank uh, Faisal Saeed Al-Matar who connected us 
Um, we we really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, you're a brave, smart. You know, you you're you've got your finger on the pulse, and um, I I'm a loudmouth guy, <laughs> and I I won't I I won't be silenced. And you are you show a bravery that I that I much much admire. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And let us know in the future if there's anything else we can do for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for having me. And I definitely would like to thank Faisal Saeed al for uh, hooking us up. And I, uh, I look forward to uh, talking more about these things. Good to go. Thank you. Thank you. I think that was really, really great. I mean, really, it's It's amazing. Yeah, it was very insightful, and I, I learned a lot. He's got a big brain relative to history of that region, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's good for people to hear these things and learn about these things, because I think we get caught up in our daily lives, and we don't really pay attention to what's going on elsewhere. Sure, or just isolated within the microcosm of our particular culture and country. Right. Uh, I did think it was funny. <laughs> I think he thought your how does it feel to be on an Al-Qaeda affiliate hit list i think he thought that was kind of a crazy question okay he said the word strange (laughs) um yeah i am sorry for going a little therapist on him there but um it's just an interesting thing right so he's he's living his life and he has people who care about him and i'm sure people who depend on him and he's on a hit list and i just think that that's a a fascinating thing and in america to be on a hit list is, you know, are you in the mafia or something? Like, what have you done wrong right. to like, other people? It's like something out of a movie. It's like a right. cartoon. What do you mean a hit list? Right. Yeah. And, you know, he's on a hit list because he uses his voice. And that's such a profound, strange thing. Profoundly preposterous. Right. And so yeah. being on a hit list and talking to someone who's on a hit list I just was wondering how how is that day to day? I mean, do you think right, about right. it every day? Because I think I would be paranoid every time I wake up. And I, I think I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine, but it would be both. There would be fear induced, but also I think in some perspective, it has to be somewhat of a, a badge of honor that oh yeah, they want me dead. I must be doing something right. Yeah, and he actually did say something like that during the interview, which is, we're doing something right. And I thought that was awesome because in the face of that threat, in the face of death, it's, no, we know that what we're doing is right and we're going to continue to do it. And that is powerful. And, you know, listen, he's not, he doesn't face the immediate danger like Avajit Roy or Neeloy Neal, but he... He still is living in the United Kingdom where you've got maniacs like Anjem Chowdhury running around who are giving material support to recruits to try to get people to go and join ISIL and join the fight of extreme Islamism. So it's, uh, he's definitely not out of the, uh, the realm of danger. So we, we very much appreciate him. And uh, goddamn, so, so good, so good. All right. Well, this is also a matter of follow-up. Last time on the show, we talked for the very first time about the issue regarding Cecil the Lion in Zimbabwe. We, we had taken a lot of time, many weeks in fact, I guess only two weeks since it's such a new topic, but two weeks we took 
to address it because of the fervor and the radical response yes. from the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the course of talking about it, I mentioned a guy who is a vegan and has been a vegan for, well, as long as I've known him, and that's about a decade, so probably longer than that. And he posted on Facebook a provocative Facebook uh, post that said that he doesn't want to hear about the lion, you hypocrites, or something like that, which to me, the way I interpreted that was if you were sitting on your couch yelling about Cecil the lion or putting hashtags on the internet about Cecil the lion while going to the grocery store or Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're contributing to the death of 9 billion chickens in America alone while crying because they've named this lion Cecil and you feel some connection to it. So I wanted him on the show. I I mentioned it that we might get him. And uh, in the spirit of moving the conversation forward and having conversations with people with whom I disagree about a lot of stuff, (laughs) uh, welcome to the show, Matt Kane. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it very much. So uh, a little background on you, and I guess me, our, our, our relationship. We've, we've known each other for going on, like I said, 10 years now. And in that time, you have been a... You're not one of those... Well, let's put it this way. There are vegans out. I know people who consider themselves vegans who drink milk in their morning cereal. I know people who are vegetarians or consider themselves vegetarians who eat the occasional hot dog. That's that's not a vegetarian. That's a meat eater who doesn't eat a lot of meat. <laughs> that is true. You're you're not that guy. You are it's one of the things that I that I, one of the many, but one of the things I admire about you is the fact that you are you are steadfast to your convictions and your belief and your I don't really like this term, but your lifestyle related to, and I don't even like the word veganism because it's too, I don't like isms. <laughs> uh, you're, you're good to go like that. I mean, you're the real deal. Yes. I mean, you know, you've got your, your Beyonce's that, you know, all of a sudden jump on it and <laughs> it's just a diet to her, you know? Uh, and then there's people like me. I, it's been 14 years, I guess. So basically, since I became an adult and realized I had to feed myself, and I was like, I don't really want to partake. And so I stopped. I went all the way. Yeah. What was your reasoning for that? Well, I mean, the multiple. I was a fat kid and I liked girls, so that helped. Uh, <laughs> so I guess it was a diet. But um, my, you know, my stepdad was a hunter, he was a bird hunter, you know. Obviously not a very good one because he never came back with anything unless he went with friends. Right. I realized that that was never going to be a part of me. And then even just having to, like I said, when I had to cook for myself, it, I realized I don't want to handle this stuff. And I realized that I've always felt it was wrong and I was at the right age where I could actually make a decision. And I did. Yeah. So let's let's kind of unpack the the motivation or what you meant cuz I you know I tried to do my best to interpret what you meant with the Facebook comments not being in your shoes or in your head just knowing you as well or as 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 little as I do and 
what 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 was your what was the impetus behind what you wrote? Well, I felt you really did actually kind of nail it on the head. It, it's that it really just annoyed me, you know, that people felt some sort of outrage because Simba died. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Do you do you think that do you think that putting a face and a name on, you know, kind of personifying the animal? It's kind of like this. You know, when I watch like uh Hard Knocks on HBO, the there's a series on HBO where they cover a football team uh in their preseason leading up to the season. And they've covered the Jets and even the Cowboys. And I hate the Cowboys. And when they cover those when they cover those teams, I kind of they they cover the different players and the motivations and their backstory. And I, I always find myself like softening to God, I hope they do good this season. That that bunch of good guys on that team, because I've I've developed like an emotional attachment. And do you think that this lar- this crazy response to this Cecil the Lion thing is because they put it they gave him a name? I, I do absolutely. I think that's what it is. And you know, and it can turn out to be a good thing. I, I can't remember the actor's name, but you know, the farmer from Babe filmed that movie. And immediately afterwards, decided to become a vegan because he started to, like, you know, realize that that these things do have names, and you know, he became attached, and it totally changed his outlook. Doing a movie about not killing a pig. Yeah. Well, and in moral research, you find that people care about individual stories, right? And the more people you add in the less people start to care about what's happening because I think the effect they attribute it to is people feel like they can't do anything when it's a bunch of people. But if you focus on just one individual story, then people feel like they can do something. So that might be the effect that's happening with Cecil the lion. Well, I agree. You know, I I get attacked for trying to attribute, you know, my arguments to, say immigration or say this you know it's easy to put a blanket like who gives a shit this is our country on on all these kids coming over but if you were to pinpoint one kid and give his story about how you know drug lords have taken over his country or whatever and they're like oh god that's awful you know but yeah it's the same thing that's really interesting so i did you know, last episode we t- we talked briefly about the matter, and I I do I I, I admittedly uh, I'm open about the fact that I'm able to compartmentalize. I am a mediator, and I and we're gonna we're gonna fundamentally disagree, and probably never come together on the fact that I believe that we're we're geared for this. It's been you know hundreds of thousands of years of evolutionary progress that made us what we are, and I mean I think we could do a better job of humanely coming to uh, being meat eaters. I think that the, the, the torturous and horrible conditions of 9 billion chickens in just the U.S. alone, that number's not pulled out of my ass. That's from PETA. So even if that's on the high side, that's still, even, if that yeah. number, even if that number is double what it really is, that's 4.5 billion, 4.5,000 million chickens that die having lived lives, lived lives of of a torturous, painful, horrible nature. I'm reading something right now that says it's about one million chickens killed every hour. Yeah. I mean, that's a... That's a well, I mean, that's, you think about it, you go get a, a you know, thing of buffalo wings from 
Buffalo Wild Wings, like to think <laughs> that right there is, you know, 12 chickens dead. Yeah. Because it's their wings. Right. The rest of it gets turned into dog food, probably. I love how contemptuous you sounded when you said Buffalo Wild Wings. I, I appreciate that very much. I mean, even though, you know, a terrible chain like Applebee's probably sells more chicken wings than Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm glad that you, you share my contempt for that terrible, terrible restaurant. <laughs> even, if it's, I even if it's for different reasons. <laughs> and it has more to, be, to do with me being a sports fan. Because <laughs> assholes that go to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the game, I probably like them less for that than I do for them eating chicken. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, I, 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 getting back to it. I did want to shine a light on that weird, and it is, you use the word hypocrisy and people bristle at such stark language, but it, there is a, a, a level of hypocrisy that's happening here when people are okay with ruining the life of a hunter when they're okay with contributing to the, I'm, an, I'm speaking hyperbolically here, but uh, contributing to the, the chicken genocide that we currently face. Right. You know, I get yelled at for using those terms. You know, you can throw genocide and Holocaust and all these things. People are like, whoa, 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 pump your brakes. But, you know, at the same time, just you're killing a lot of them. There's a term for it somewhere along the lines. Well, and then then there's the people will say, well, you know, uh, a chicken's just a chicken. You know, they've got the, a brain the size of your your pinky fingernail. Eh, they're they're not really a sentient creature, but a pig and I love pork, and I eat a lot of pork, a pig is smarter than a dog. It's so... Well, if, if anything, just as. You know, they can become just as attached. Even a chicken can become attached to its owner, If, which, you know, in all these ranches or whatever, in all these grass-fed, you know, free-range chickens that supposedly exist that people tell me they eat, you know, they'll become attached to their owners. They absolutely do. Yeah. Well, especially especially with pigs, they have their individual personalities just like your goddamn dog. So if you're outraged at the thought or the prospect of someone eating Lassie, then fuck you. You should be just as outraged about a pig. Yes. I, I, got, I got really attacked for actually reposting something somebody else had said in a much nicer fashion than I did because I felt that, you know, I should say, this is what I said nicely. And it, you know, it was, hey, you know, think about it. I'm not attacking you, but if you really do truly feel this outrage, think about what else you're doing. And I got attacked by a friend of mine about, like, he called me everything from you know, a religious nut job, blah, 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 compared me to that and that I have to attack it, attack other people that feel the same way I do, but I'm, they're not as hard as me, which was his exact words. And I tried to explain to him that that was my problem is that these people don't feel the same way I do. And, and they could. That was yeah. nice. They could feel the same way I do. It's interesting when you, when you touch on a nerve with someone and the nerve on which you've touched might have a little validity to it, like this, like this, the moral, the, the comparing these two things and juxtaposing, you know, 
pigs and dogs and, you know, Cecil the lion being so outraged over the death of one, one lion. It's not like lions are an endangered species. It's not like he killed the last California condor. It's, right. it's, it's a lion, and it's, you know, whether it be terrible or not, I'm not even making that judgment call. I'm saying that there's this weird equivocation or, or there's a weird proximity thing going here where there's closer to death with their, their diet, closer to the genocide or the Holocaust, like you'd say, to their diet in their own actions, yet they're going to point the finger at this guy who's, you know, all, all signs point to probably not a great guy. But they're just as culpable as far as I would be concerned. And I'm, cur- I'm curious what logic they use with you. So when you posted that status that we talked about, what was the reaction? How did people try to reason their way around it? Well, the initial reaction to my initial post was people just completely dodging it and being like, what about Tony the Tiger and all this shit? Because they didn't want to talk about it. But it's actually when I responded to it. It was actually sent to me by another friend of ours who is also a meat eater but also understands the logic that I was coming from, sent me a post that another vegan had made that was um, just well thought out and nicely put what I said in one sentence. (laughs) And that's when I actually got attacked. I was apparently calling people hypocrites, his name calling and stuff, and... No, I listen. I think what happened is you pointed a finger at them and you shined a light on their beliefs and their views, even if it's anonymously just to the general public. Yeah. And there was a tinge of guilt there. And they, when you do that, people get uh, it. It makes them feel uncomfortable, and then they're going to lash out. Yeah. Well, you know, he. Uh, I, I tried to go back and forth with this guy and not get into it too much. What you know, it's just like Mormons and. Jehovah's Witnesses always trying to convert me. And the last thing I said to him was, like, I'm not trying to save you. I'm trying to save them, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah. something that people need to get over because they, you know, I get accused of attacking people and trying to change them. But it's not that I'm trying to change them, I'm trying to save animals. And somewhere along the line, you know, somebody has to be. That's the beginning of these arguments, you know, and I understand that this is what is in reality a fairly new argument that people do not know how to handle yet. I, I have I have a lot of friends who are very close to me who believe that, you know, within the next uh, 500 years or so, I mean, w- w- there is a time when they don't see the human race being meat eaters. Because I, I, it, I do believe that because when we talk about you know, or at least drastically changed. Like, you know, 500 years ago, there was a lot of shit that we did and believed that was, that we look at now, like, oh, that's just barbaric. Right. And Well, there is, it's just through the course of evolution. I mean, to get where we are now with our brain, we needed the meat. It it, it facilitated the, to, to who we are now. But now our brains are what they are, and we can, using our brains, technologically advance, whether it be engineering of food and, and pro- procurement of other protein sources to maintain the, the, the massive, weighty well, size and, of our brains. <laughs> and even back in the day when we supposedly you know, ate all this meat to make our brains grow, 
we didn't eat meat the way we do now. Like it was, we weren't eating meat with every meal. It wasn't any of that. Like yeah, it was when you could get just, it. Yes. You know, but that's the thing. It's like now that like I have this brain, I'm going to use it. And to think that, you know, I need to eat meat to have a brain. I mean, I posted my few things of some of my vegan vegetarian heroes that were pretty smart freaking fellows that managed to do some pretty amazing stuff without meat in their diet. Yeah, I, I, I did see that post, and it was – it that was, I think, the most profound thing that you said within that thread was, yeah, I understand that that's how I got my brain, but now that I have it, I'm going to use it. I, it was awesome. It's a beautiful sentiment. Because I do have it, you know. Like we also, you know – became the human race by brutally like murdering and raping Neanderthals and getting rid of them so that we could become homo sapiens. But, you know, I don't need to brutally rape and murder people anymore. There's lots of things we did to become what we are. Doesn't mean we have to. Yeah. I, while being a meat eater and while admittedly continuing to be a meat eater, I... Same here. Sorry about that. I, uh... I, I appreciate I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate the thought. I definitely wanted to give you a platform. I am certain. I made the joke last time that our audience is largely dirty, filthy liberal hippies. Um, I am sure that they appreciate you very, very much and your message. And uh, I appreciate well, you coming on, Matt. Well, you know, and I understand that my message as we get older is harder for people to hear. You know, when I was seventeen and I decided to become a vegan it's easy to change your mind at that age people get have been gotten more and more defensive and they will as they get older because then they really feel like you're attacking their entire life you know you're not at an age to change and i'm not trying to get anybody to change but you know if if al gore can do it because people called him a hypocrite then maybe somebody else can do it yeah right on (laughs) Well, good, man. And I appreciate you giving the platform. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, next time something arises in the vegan world, and I'm sure it will, maybe you're, you'll be our senior vegan correspondent for the show. <laughs> I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and uh, tune it up and get it just right so that I can <laughs> represent my whole worthless hippie people. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate it. And, you know, congratulations on the show. Yeah. Right on. That was good. Real good. I'm uh it was nice talking about that from, you know, kind of a different perspective, getting someone else's viewpoint about the the Cecil thing. And, you know, it's also it's nice to talk to somebody with whom I haven't spoken in uh many years. Right. So we've never had a vegan on the show. Right. So right. that was a first or, for us. Uh, an out vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be that would be correct. Next time something comes up, we'll uh, we'll get him on the show. And I think now that he's, you know, there's a lot of times when you invite someone on a show who's not normally like a spokesman or a professional talker, they get a little a little antsy, like, oh shit, how am I gonna? How's this gonna come across? And blah blah blah. They don't have their their uh, their thoughts maybe congealed. I think Matt did really really well. But next time. He will, I think, maybe kind of know the game plan, know what's going on. Well, now he's the the senior vegan correspondent, right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what you called yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now any issues relating to the treatment of animals and diets, I guess, 
he will be the correspondent. Yeah, when Cecil's reincarnation, when he faces some trouble, will will for sure rely upon Matt. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. We have already covered some of this on the show. It was on our bonus debate episode. However, I because that's a bonus episode, not a normal release, I'm kind of, maybe it's in my own head, but I'm just expecting that not all of our normal audience isn't going to go check that out. So we're going to talk about this entire Donald Trump debate fiasco a little bit. One, because not everybody may have listened to it, but also because more stuff has happened even since we talked about it on our bonus debate show. During Thursday's debate, Donald Trump was asked a question by Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly. Mr. Trump. One of the things people love about you is you speak your mind and you don't use a politician's filter. However, that is not without its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only Rosie O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. Your Twitter account... That crowd is disgusting. Thank you. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure it was. Your Twitter account has several disparaging comments about women's looks. You once told a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice it would be a pretty picture to see her on her knees. Does that sound to you like the temperament of a man we should elect as president? And how will you answer the charge from Hillary Clinton, who is likely to be the Democratic nominee, that you are part of the war on women? I think the big problem this country has is being politically correct. I've been, ch- I've been challenged by so many people, and I don't frankly have time for total political correctness. And to be honest with you, this country doesn't have time either. This country is in big trouble. We don't win anymore. We lose to China. We lose to Mexico, both in trade and at the border. We lose to everybody. And frankly, what I say, and oftentimes it's fun, it's kidding, we have a good time. What I say is what I say. And honestly, Megan, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I've been very nice to you, although I could probably maybe not be based on the way you have treated me, but I wouldn't do that. But you know what? We, we need strength. We need energy. We need quickness, and we need brain in this country to turn it around. That I can tell you right now. So, god damn, you know what I mean? This isn't about being offended. Everybody, I've seen it on Facebook, I've seen it on Twitter. All of the, the Donald Trump lackeys and supporters are sh- sharing that meme about, oh, I'm waking up, what's everybody offended about today? This isn't about being offended, This is about picking a good, or rather the best, person to represent us as Americans. And is that really Donald Trump? Is that really the message 
and the personality that we want representing ourselves both diplomatically and militarily, a guy who's going to threaten a journalist for asking a genuine legitimate question and if you listen to the the tail end of Megyn Kelly's question I know it was difficult because the crowd is cheering Donald Trump's sexism and you know disrespectful behavior but at the end she says you know how will you go head-to-head with Hillary Clinton when she can use all these talking points I just listed to indicate that you are going to war with women right so she's putting it in the perspective of if you're the nominee this is likely going to be a problem for you. Let's preemptively talk about how you're going to deal with it. Absolutely. Is that not a legitimate thing to say? Totally legitimate. The other thing is, he never answers the question. Oh, of course. He, he just rather he goes on attack mode. He, he's, he's so fragile. He's wildly arrogant. But his ego is, is so fragile that if you challenge him, he immediately resorts to threats or name calling. That well, you're a loser. You're a slob. You're you're a nobody. You're not tough. You're all these other things. Right. And what's frustrating is the number of people who are defending Donald Trump with like this desperation right. is the only word I can use to describe it. They're so desperate to defend Donald Trump. You use the word frustrating. It's not for me just frustrating. It's alarming. And that the, I'm not being hyperbolic. For me, I am alarmed that this is the sentiment and the reaction to Donald Trump in our country. Right. And there are so many people who are attacking Megyn Kelly and saying that right. Megyn Kelly was not fair. Now, Chris Wallace was also a moderator. He also asked Donald Trump a question. In fact, the question that Chris Wallace asked Donald Trump was about his four bankruptcies. Right. Okay. What's going to hurt Donald Trump's ego more on that stage? Is it the things that he got cheered for endlessly about calling women fat pigs and slobs? Right. Or is it bringing up his business failures? Right. Failures. You don't file bankruptcy because you're a wild success. You file bankruptcy when your business has failed. So which one of those is likely to hurt the ego? Right. And, right. and everyone's blaming Megyn Kelly saying Megyn Kelly was biased. Megyn Kelly went after him. And, and, hang on. The other thing is about his bankruptcies is... He filed bank he had a casino file bankruptcy. He couldn't he couldn't make money in the casino business. Everybody touts him as this awesome biz, super smart businessman. Uh, you know, I, anyway, let, let's move on. We got a lot to cover here. Um the next day, because of all the outrage and all the fervor over this, he went on Don Lemon's show to talk about the debate. Well, let's talk about Megyn Kelly, because you, you brought her up. Um, she did push you, pushed a lot of people. But what is it with you and Megyn Kelly? Well, I just don't respect her as a journalist. I have no respect for her. I don't think she's very good. I think she's highly overrated. But when I came out there, you know, what am I doing? I'm not getting paid for this. I go out there and, uh, you know, they start saying, lift up arm if you're going to. Then I then. And, you know, I didn't know there'd be 24 million people. I figured, but I knew it was going to be a big crowd because I get big crowds. I get ratings. They call me the ratings machine. So I have, uh, you know, she she gets out and she starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions. And, you know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. But uh, she was, uh, in my opinion, she was uh, off base. And by the way, not in my opinion, in the opinion of hundreds of thousands of people, 
on Twitter because it has been a brutal day. In one way, a great day for Fox, and another day in the Twitter sphere, it's been very bad because she's been very badly criticized. Let's but, take a let's hey, take a she's look. She's a lightweight. At... I couldn't care less about her. In fact, you're competing against her, and I'm doing your show. That's interesting. Well, so... <laughs> it's it's so weird that Donald uh, that Don Lemon. And I said this during the debo- the bonus episode, and we never really got to it because we had so much to cover. Don Lemon is either the worst or the best. And in this case, he's the worst. He doesn't challenge. In fact, he only chuckles. He's chuckling through this whole thing rather than calling Donald Trump to the carpet and asking legitimate questions. Part of me wonders if that is because Donald Trump is attacking the competitor. You know, I don't know. It, it's just it's bizarre to me. Right. So the emphasis there is in this quote, because we're going to go forward with an interview he just did on Jake Tapper this morning. But I want to place emphasis before we do that on the quote, blood coming out of her whatever. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. Blood coming out of her wherever. That's right. So today on State of the Union on CNN with Jake Tapper, he again had to come on because of the the very negative reaction of conservatives toward what he said about insinuating that Megyn Kelly asked a tough question because she was on her period. This happened with Jake Tapper. She was very angry because I bested her with a question that was a very fair, unfair question. So she was very angry. And when I was speaking about it on a CNN show, by the way, uh, which was interesting, but I was speaking about her, I said blood was pouring from her eyes or out of her eyes, which is a very common statement. And by the way, I said the same thing about Chris Wallace. That's right. Nobody said anything. You did. But I said the exact same thing about Chris Wallace. But then you said she had blood blood coming out of her wherever. I said, no. I said, and blood was pouring for wherever because I wanted to finish the sentence because I went on to something. I wanted to get off of the whole thing and get back onto the subject of jobs or whatever we were talking to about right after that. So I didn't even say anything because I didn't even finish the thought. I was going to say nose and or ears because that's a very common statement. Blood pouring out of somebody's nose. It's a statement showing anger. She had great anger when she was uh, questioning me. So let's listen one more time. What he just denied having said coming out of her wherever he denied it. So we're going to play this next clip and it's either going one of two ways, either He's right, and he didn't say it, or he's a liar, and he did. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. Well, I guess the, the verdict's in. He's a liar. Well, I also love how he said that he just wanted to move on, so that would suggest that he was in somewhat of a hurry wanting to get to the other topic, when wherever has eight letters in it, and together (laughs) nose and ears have eight letters. So it wouldn't have taken much more time (laughs) to just speak those things, if that's what you were talking about. Well, the the interview with the orange-faced mook continued. Only a deviant would say that what I said was what they were referring to. Because nobody can make that statement. You almost have to be sick to to sort of put that together. Well, among that list of deviants would be Eric Erickson, (laughs) Jeb Bush. Well, take a look at his past. Lindsey Lindsey Graham, Carly Fiorina. Jake, Carly Fiorita. Okay, I mean, give me a break. But a lot. Of, got, why do you think so many conservative? Why do you think so many of your fellow colleagues, uh, fellow candidates, so many conservative commentators, 
are, are saying that they don't believe your explanation. Because they want to be politically correct. They want to get points. I'm leading in the polls by a fortune. They wouldn't, by a tremendous margins, they wouldn't have had, do you think they would have had 24 million people watching that show if I wasn't on? If I wasn't on that show, Jake, in all fairness, and I say it in all due modesty, you would have had 2 million people, not 24 million people. <laughs> and you can ask any expert about it. But 24 million people was not there to watch Carly Fiorina or Jeb Bush that, or Lindsey Graham, who, by the way, has zero in the poll. He's talking about all these people who weren't even on the stage. Yeah, I love how he said, with all due modesty. Right, right. Um, well, the, the, the other thing is, he's talking about Fiorina and discounting her opinion about the matter as a woman because, oh, give me a break. She's got no chance. We're not talking about the chances of her getting the nomination or eventually running in the general election for president of the United States. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the validity of her opinion relative to your comments about Megyn Kelly, dickhead. We're talking about her ability to understand spoken word. Right, which apparently he struggles with. The interview with the incarnation of the tan mom continues. <laughs> yeah, I understand you're saying that you, you did not mean to suggest... That Megyn Kelly was having her period. You were of saying, of course I okay. did, Jake. Who would say that? Hey, Jake, I went to the Wharton School of Finance. I was an uh. excellent student. I'm a smart person. I built a tremendous company. I had a show called The Apprentice that NBC desperately I'm, wanted me to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with your work, sir. <laughs> okay, I do all this stuff. Do you think I'd make a stupid statement like that? Who would make a statement like that? Only a, a sick person would would even think about it. Ugh. Why does he always launch into his goddamn resume and always talk about his reality TV show? Well, I'll tell you what. For someone that is admired for having no filter, he sure is backpedaling oh, yeah. very quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's scramble time to try to make uh, a little damage control here. I thought he didn't have time to be PC. So right. why doesn't he just say, yeah, I was talking about her period. Right. Well, And it... that was the best accent that I could conjure. Real good. <laughs> why do you think that there are so many people jumping on you stating that that is what you were saying. So many, we're, we're not talking about, Jake, in all due respect, I'm, sir, we're not talking about the, the, the women's studies department at Oberlin. We're talking about conservatives. We're talking about the concerned women for America issuing a statement saying, quote, every presidential election since 1964 has been carried by women. Women don't like mean, and we certainly don't vote for men or women we don't trust. A lot of conservatives really Upset. Jake, you're asking me why are these people coming yeah. and saying this, right? Yeah. And most of them, are the, most of the ones that, that I've seen on television, just opposing candidates. I can't it's a stupid question, Jake, in all due respect. If they're running against me. Wow. I mean, I should, I'm should. i never surprised of the drivel that comes falling out of the, of the swollen, bee-stung face of Donald Trump. But this is... I think it's a stupid question, Jake, in all due respect. Well, he's doing Jake Tapper a favor by coming oh, yeah. on his show. I mean, he's the right. ratings machine. Right. That's what they call him. They, they call me the ratings machine. That he's show, a loser. That show, you know, the first Republican presidential yeah. debate. It's not, a, it's not an entertainment program, Donald Trump. It's a debate. It's a the part of the, 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 the sacred political process in our country. I'm wondering if you think, though that going after Megyn Kelly, who is beloved by conservatives, beloved by Republican voters, I wonder if that's a, the wrong target, that this might actually hurt you. What do you think? Well, look, I have nothing against Megyn Kelly. I think her question was extremely unfair to me. Her whole questioning was unfair to me. And when you say beloved, 
I will say this. On social media, I'm the one that's beloved. Okay? Because uh. if you look at social media and what's happening, they are really coming out strongly in favor of Donald Trump. They agree. And this whole thing with this political correctness in this country is out of control. It's out of control, Brittany Page. He's talking about himself in the third person. Not only that, but this. Well, look, I have nothing against Megyn Kelly. Odd, because I kind of remember this interaction with Don Lemon. Well, I just don't respect her as a journalist. I have no respect for her. I don't think she's very good. I think she's highly overrated. Well, that's kind of a juxtaposition from this. Well, look, I have nothing against Megyn Kelly. Well, I just don't respect her as a journalist. I have no respect for her. I don't think she's very good. I think she's highly overrated. So he has no backbone. He has no line in the sand of any ideological belief. He can't even make up his mind about whether to say he doesn't have anything against Megyn Kelly or that she's highly overrated and I have no respect for her. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Uh, he's, he's, he's the worst. He's just the worst. Another issue here, and I talked about it briefly on the debate show, is the dwindling level of, of respect that we are, we are very possibly facing worldwide because of the asshole running for president, this non-legitimate candidate who's running for president. So I reached out to our sometimes more evolved audience who live in Northern Europe you know, Amsterdam, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Norway. And uh, we got a response from loyal listener, Nikki. Hey, Brittany and Jesse, it's Nikki. And yes, I'm well aware that I might be provoking a rant. But honestly, Jesse, I love it when you rant. Anyway, you asked for my opinion, so you shall have it. I've been listening to this debate with um, a mix of fascinated horror and disbelief. Uh, a lot of people here think that the Republican Party has become a joke and not a funny one. It's um, entertainment to us, um, but with a sense of dread because it is real. I think that Within the Republican Party, people are looking for a strong candidate, but they seem to be confusing narcissism and religious zealotry for strength. And that's not a good thing. Imagine having Donald Trump at the head of the state. Seriously? That guy retaliates every time he feels slighted. That's not a good thing in international politics, where you have to be able to handle delicate negotiations. Uh, he's not that good at it. It's like putting an elephant in a china cabinet. That will inevitably lead to disaster. Yes. And uh, disaster in this case might be a nuclear weapon used somewhere out of peevishness. Scary. And then you have the religious zealots, like Walker, who'd rather let a woman die than have her have an abortion. Freakish. People like that would never be viable candidates here. They'd be ignored. Or they would actually get attention, but no votes. So, yeah. I don't think this reflects well on the United States, actually. I mean, the fact that narcissists and idiots and religious zealots and ignoramuses 
actually are viable <laughs> candidates reflects very poorly on you. Yeah, it does. And um, I do know that there are lots of rational, well-thinking people. So I hope that the Republicans don't win this election. It would be a disaster internationally as well. Not just for your own country, but for the rest of the world. I feel for you guys. And yeah, I really do. <laughs> anyway, good luck. You're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I still love the show. Listen to it twice a week. So keep up the good work. And uh, I'll talk to you later. I love how sad she is for us. Yeah. She's just so sad for us. It's the ultimate level of commiseration with, oh, God, you guys. I'm just so sorry that's happening to you right now. (laughs) Good luck. You're going to need it. Oh, man. I love love the, the turn of phrase used about the use of a nuclear weapon because of peeve, peevishness. Right. You get peeved and you just want to fire off a missile. Um, as much hyperbole as someone might ascribe to that thought, that's a real possibility because the president of the United States is the commander in chief of the military. He, he doesn't need the authorization of Congress to enter into police actions, 90 day skirmishes, sending troops here and there. And there is no preclusion from some types of military action and is this the guy that we want at the helm of our military no i think clearly the answer is no right i wrote down my favorite quote from while nikki was talking it was hard to choose one of course because (laughs) everything she said was profound but i like how she said confusing narcissism for strength yeah, and I, oh, God damn. I really think that that is what's happening. Yeah. People see him on stage acting erratic, and they've just never seen that before. And for some reason, they think because it's something they've never seen before that it's good and yeah. exciting. Right. Um, no, we don't want the celebrity apprentice to be right. active in the White House. Well, I we, mean, listen, we don't want... Just because he might be entertaining and just because he might be uh, wacky and it's new and it's different, that's not what we want representing our country. Right. The office of the presidency of the United States is a sacred and, and historic office. You need to go into it thinking about the precedents that you will set forward, going forward for future presidents and the future of our country. Because all of that matters very much. A certain level of decorum and respect and dignity should be associated with being president. That's another weird thing that I just want to comment on really quick, which is people have been using the word disrespectful to describe the interaction that Megyn Kelly had with Donald Trump. And it's not as though Megyn Kelly, you know, was asking him if he's shooting blanks. Right. Well, she also didn't call him an orange faced goon. Right. That's what I mean. So (laughs) That's, that's my job. Right. And so she was asking him about the disrespectful things that he has said. And they're saying she was being disrespectful to him. Yeah, no. She wasn't insulting him. Like, it's just ridiculous. But I I would also like to say, before we move on from Nikki, that if there's ever bad news that you need to share with me, if you could please (laughs) have Nikki say it to me, that would be the best way to share it with me. I think that just based on the numbers that we're aware of, 
we must the female listening audience for I Doubt It with Dollamore, they probably collectively have the sexiest voices <laughs> in the history of podcasting because between between Kathy and between Nikki, that some sexy ass voices going on. I know. This is just this has been great. <laughs> For me. Well, usually we leave the, the, the show with a positive, upbeat message, but I think Nikki's voicemail and Nikki's voice in itself is good enough for the feel good. Yeah, and I just want to say one more thing. People say that the opinions of the international, some people say that we shouldn't care about the opinions of the international community. And I think that's stupid to say. And I think that it is important to consider we have to live them it's like your neighborhood the planet is our neighborhood you want to get along in the neighborhood right the international community is watching this happen as well we don't want to be the country who's looked upon as the guy in the jeep slouched down with the <laughs> engine running <laughs> yes that is that's brilliant exactly thank you Brittany. everyone heard that and that's not getting edited out that I am brilliant. I'm just trying to have a validating <laughs> presence for you so that I'm not called a snob. All right. Well, with that, we're going to leave you. That is where we will leave the positive message as we move on to tell you goodbye. We love you. We appreciate you. Without you, this wouldn't be possible because you can't have a conversation with yourself that's not a little crazy. So until next time... We will see you for Brittany Page. I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Jesse, I love it when you rant. <laughs>